0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Allegory Story Podcast. My name is Melanie Nevis. And I'm Tegan Aline. And today we are going to be talking about one of my favorites actually, which is the Little Mermaid.
1: Oh yeah. Oh look, I dressed appropriately. I knew you do that on purpose. Did you did? Shit. I Little Mermaid. (laughs) You've got some blue going on. I've noticed since, like, I colored my hair this like coppery color that I've been like attracted to like aquas and blues. And it's like now we're actually coming to that point where the Little Mermaid that the new Little Mermaid has just Mm -hmm. been released, right? And I was like, I swear, I'm having like a mermaid moment, but I didn't do that on purpose. It just happened naturally. So, okay, with that
0: then, like, what image comes to mind when you hear the word
1: mermaid? Oh, so many, so, so many. First of all, I think, well, obviously, I think in terms of media, because I've consumed an absurd amount of media in my life. So (laughs) I think of like the classical Disney Little Mermaid, you know, like the purple shell bra, the red hair part of your world, like, you know. (laughs) The arm action with us. <laughs> Great. That, that whole thing. I think about that. I also think of this um, a show that I told you about a little while ago that was, like, I think on an Australian TV show. I think about sirens, like the, the women that, like, call men into the what. That's on the, like, darker side of things. I've never really known what the difference between a siren and a mermaid was. I'll tell you today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I think of, you know, like, he, uh, in the cartoon. Toony sense I think of like the the fishtail and pretty Mm -hmm. girly on top and then also I think of this like dark enchantress like luring men to their death in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Two two realms of thought. Yeah. So I think that that is very true. Um, I think that for a lot
0: of people it is Ariel. I think maybe that'll change with the live action Disney version but I did watch it and um, Oh you've seen it? Oh I want to see it. It's just okay. What? And here's, here's why. I'm not a huge fan of musicals for the most part. And so when you actually have – people singing like i'm not a glee person the only musical i kind of like is dr Horrible's sing-along blog with neil patrick harris and nathan fillion well neil patrick harris makes
1: broadway cool like yeah okay,
0: exactly um so i think that that's why i just have a general like i don't know about this but if it's in a cartoon version i accept it a lot more i i don't know
1: why i i understand i i understand what you're saying but as um a musical theater nerd
0: i know i
1: have to (laughs) i know i know i I get it but it's also
0: it's also i find that it's different on broadway and like in theater than it is on television or like in the movies and i don't know why my brain makes like such a distinction but it is
1: Yeah, I I, I get it. I think it's kind of tricky. The minute they started trying to add the musical elements into these live action Disney's, I was like, "Uh, I liked it better when they weren't necessarily doing that, where they were just retelling the story.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's where, because like, you know, and especially watching it as an adult, seeing people just sing for a couple of minutes, I'm
1: like, "Eh." but like, get back to the plot. (laughs) I was just I really love the way that they they casted this new movie like that I like I really I'm so obsessed with Halle Bailey as the Little Mm -hmm. Mermaid I think she's a fucking stunner and apparently she's also incredibly sweet and lovely to work with but also Melissa McCarthy as yes or is it McCarthy or McCartney No, it's McCarthy. I think. think, Yeah. I fucking love her. I love her so much. And I love her as Ursula. Yeah. That is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway. Um, but I think for a lot of
0: people that you do kind of think of Ariel. You think of the red headed Disney princess who trades in her tail for a pair of legs and her voice for a chance to win a life at land with the guy that she loves.
1: Yeah, I'm um, an 80s baby, so that's my first frame of reference.
0: For yeah, sure. exactly. And it's interesting, too, because The Little Mermaid is just what we were sp- exposed to because we were children, but there was an adult movie in the 80s that was produced by Touch to- Touchstone, which is Disney's like adult brand, I guess, oh. named Splash. Oh, and in I've Splash, seen Splash. Yeah, so they came out at similar times. So Splash, The Mermaid, was blonde with... The Little Mermaid, um, they intentionally provided Ariel with red hair so that she would look different. And like there was a very clear difference between the two. But like there's there is a lot of like our culture has a really vast collection of mermaid literature and art and then more recently movies. So I think the very first mermaid movie kind of came out in 1904 but the first feature film was in 1914 and it was called Neptune's Daughter and it was a black and white silent film
1: oh wow and and like
0: they've been coming out throughout the last century and we just had the little mermaid as our main point of reference um if we look at recent history and like recent stories that we've been exposed to with mermaids they generally have the same sort of repeating elements, which is a beautiful singing voice. They've got a mirror and a comb, um, mm. nice, long, lovely hair, a weakness for human men, and a powerful
1: influence over those men as well, I think it's fair to say. Um, oh, gee, I can't and- see where the men's opinion <laughs> came into these stories at all. <laughs> a weakness for human men.
0: <laughs> They've got
1: those I mean. Yeah, Yeah, there
0: is this one movie and I can't for the life of me remember when it came out exactly and what it's called, but it is a black and white movie. And in this movie, the mermaid does not speak at all. This guy finds her and like keeps talking to her and his obsession with her and like um, uh, sexual obsession and like, like, I don't know, like it just encompasses the entire movie and it encompasses Mm -hmm. her frame of reference you don't really ever learn it because she never talks it's all about the male's perspective it's really interesting
1: Mm. but what's that called sorry
0: i forgot and i will find it and i will put it in the description because but it's an old black and white movie um the mermaid herself is often this adventurous spirit she's often self-educated and there's a dark sister sea witch that's there to complicate her plans in some way as a person of the wide open sea, she's connected to these, this notion of freedom and liberation. And, and a lot of tales when, uh, they, you think of like trapping or confining her in any way, then there's this air of lament and like, it would be a crime to condemn this soul to captivity. Hmm. Um, Another common thing that you see is that she doesn't really believe in conventionality or ritual or tradition, right? She's kind of like breaking those things. And the story almost always follows along the lines of like love. There's some sort of love story. The little mermaid is generally all about this pure love that needs to overcome obstacles. But mermaids themselves are very, very old. Um, and the stories of mermaids are really, really old. So that's like all in much more recent culture, but the they can be found in every culture from like all continents. And Adargatis is said to be the original inspiration for mermaid stories. So she was an Assyrian goddess worshipped three to four thousand years ago oh. in ancient Assyria. And then later, like all over the Mediterranean. And she's said to be the goddess of the moon. Fertility and water. So all things related to very feminine power. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, those three combined, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the story of how Adargatus actually becomes a mermaid is a little bit sad. So according okay. to the myth, um, Adargatus falls in love with a mortal shepherd named Adad, and they have a daughter together named Semiramis. Uh, who later becomes the queen of Assyria. And this is just like a little side note. There is a legend that Semiramis was most well known for creating the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Ooh. not the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II. Mm. So, like the more commonplace thing is that Nebuchadnezzar had created the Hanging gar- Gardens of Babylon. But there is a legend that Semiramis did it and became this Assyrian oh. queen as well, which is
1: oh. cool. Okay, wouldn't surprise uh, me. I guess based on everything we've seen so far, yeah, yeah. Like I took credit for it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, Adargatus. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm no, just, it's I'm just not, how, I'm not hating. I love my husband, but I'm just uh. It's how history has, the obvious, you know, kind of
0: repeated itself over and over again. Yeah. So Addergatus accidentally causes the death of her husband and i searched trying to find what exactly was the cause and i couldn't find anything everything just says she accidentally caused the death of her husband but not how but she's so racked with guilt that she drowns herself and she's incredibly beautiful so in death oh. the waters transform her into a woman with the tail of a fish, and she becomes the first mermaid.
1: Oh, that's um, so mad and dark. Yeah, but like
0: also kind of lovely in its own weird way. So she was worshipped in a temple built for her in Israel, and it said that the temple was made of gold and diamonds mm-hmm. and that there was a pool with living fish. And in order to get to the altar, people would actually have to swim through this pool with living fish. And um, I don't know, that that's just sounds so beautiful to me. That's a, re- like, that-, that was a real place or it's like lost. It's to myth said really it, it's, know. it's, it's lost to like, you know, we oh, don't okay. really know, but that's, that's the legend. Like that's part of this myth that there is this temple and Sounds you actually have gorgeous. to dive through this pool of fish to get to the altar and both fish and doves are sacred to Addergatus because when she decides to drown herself, um, she actually leaves her daughter out on the banks and, you know, kind of just leaves her to the elements. Her daughter is actually rescued by doves. So the symbols for Addergate is is fish and doves, and they're sacred to her. So doves symbolize love, and fish are a symbol of fertility and bounty. So Mm. she's said to be the first mermaid legend ever to be told. Water is the element of emotions. Um, There's a transformation that happens and is initiated because of a broken heart. Mm -hmm. And all mermaids contain the same elements that Addergate is possessed, Mm -hmm. right? There's like this healing power of water, a beauty that can't be hidden. There's connection to the moon and to the tides, waves and emotions. Mm -hmm. And she is the goddess of transformation. So her followers would pray to her to face their fears and to face their darkest selves so that they could love and
1: appreciate all that they are. Interesting. I still feel bad for her daughter. Like, yeah, I know she becomes an Assyrian to this queen. queen. I'm she does here become an Assyrian queen. Being like, but how <laughs> did you leave <laughs> your baby on the banks of the water? I know, I know. But she becomes a queen. She's saved by. She dust. becomes a
0: queen, and she, you know, in one story, builds the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that is pretty cool.
0: That's <laughs> pretty huh. cool. So it's a little okay. bit of a sad story, but there's really right. beautiful elements to it I think mm-hmm. um, and and then the spirit kind of continues on and we see it in the Greek goddess Aphrodite Venus is the Roman counterpart goddess of beauty and love and Aphrodite does not have a fishtail but she was born of foam. and in Ovid's Metamorphosis um, it mentions Venus actually transforming into a fish to mm-hmm. disguise herself so to this day mm-hmm. The mermaid at its core seems to be a Venus-like embodiment of beauty and love. Oh, okay, like,
1: I see, I see. Yeah, like She's
0: beautiful herself, but she also really sees the beauty in the world around her and teaches humans to reopen their eyes to all the beauty that they've become blind to. And in her less innocent iterations, she's well aware of her charms and, you know, the mirror can be seen as a symbol of her vanity. But I think that Mm. the Little Mermaid at its core, like, I think a lot of kids actually really did like it because she's a relatable character. She does have this childlike sense of wonder and is excitable and is curious. Like, she's just got this insatiable curiosity. And I feel like a lot of children have that. Absolutely. I Definitely had it. I think I still do. I like to be curious about the world around me. Hello. Um, but that's she approaches how we got it. Here. Yeah, that's how we <laughs> got here. But she approaches it with like just the wonderment of a of a child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to say, like I just mentioned, the innocent iterations or less innocent inter- iterations, and so. Um. People will often refer to them as sirens, right? Like you kind of thought of them as well. And they use the terms interchangeably. And that has happened more recently. I thought
1: there was like a difference between the two. There
0: is a difference between the two. But a lot of people kind of will just be like, well, sirens are – well, what do you think of when you think of sirens? Okay, so
1: what – I think of this, like the old story of like these women who would like lure men on fishing boats, like off the boats and they would swim into the water uh, to find the woman. And then the woman would like kiss them and they'd like drown and like kill the guys. It's very like one sided. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot okay. of questions to be asked, but that's kind of like what <laughs> I think of when I think of sirens. And I also think of Tidelanders. Landers. <laughs> the netflix series tidelanders which was amazing and deserves a second season come on netflix anyway i digress (laughs) like i think that a lot of people
0: do just see sirens as like the dark mermaids and and in that way they just use the terms interchangeably where like mermaids are the light version and sirens are the dark version um so a lot of people think that sirens are also half fish, like mermaids, but they are actually half winged creatures. So like they are half bird. They have wings? In um, the original- Sirens just they have wings? Have, yes. In the original stories, in the original Greek stories, they have wings. So that's a major difference. Um, but like the differences exist in a few other things. That's the major difference. They are not the same species.
1: Um. Oh, that's so interesting that we've kind of just lumped them together and they're like totally two different things. They're two different things. Um, They are
0: labeled negatively, right? They're labeled as temptresses, enchantresses, charmers. They tempt men to their deaths. And mermaids are often referred to in more of like a neutral or a positive term. And they're just called like water nymphs and water deities. They're depicted as beautiful creatures living in the sea. And are just not associated with the same negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, where mermaids and mermaid stories and legends are found literally in every corner of the globe, sirens are exclusive to Greek and
1: Roman mythology. And oh, so they, of course they're dark. Because everything in Greek <laughs> and Roman mythology is fucked up. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But they're featured With respect, with, of course. With <laughs>
0: but I love they are those featured stories. like of who doesn't they're yeah, featured yeah. specifically in those and, and again mermaids are like all over the place sirens are very much western tradition greek roman mythology mm. um they live in these greek and roman myths they live on rocky islands and are fathered by the god Achilles. Mm. um but they just live on the rocky islands, like they don't live around them in the water. They are land dwellers. Oh. They don't generally use their wings, but like they live on islands. They live on land. Whereas mermaids obviously will come up on the shore and they'll like come up on rocks, but they are sea dwellers. Um and traditionally as well, and this is interesting because it did get incorporated into later mermaid stories of like the mermaid using her voice. That's what we know now. Traditionally, that wasn't a thing for mermaids. Sirens used their voice to lure men. Mermaids just used their beauty, right? So sirens had beauty and a voice. Mermaids just used their beauty and they attracted men using love and affection. Um, And then the reason for attracting men, like we don't really know. Sirens just have this weird animalistic instinctive need to kill
1: yeah I feel like I feel like Greek and like because uh, Greek mythology kind of converts or like shifts into the Roman mythology at one point, I feel like there's the stories their stories are just usually so dark and they usually depict women either. I think it's I don't know if it's the beginning of it, but it feels like it could potentially be the beginning of where we see the division between like the virtuous girl and the Mm -hmm. evil woman, you know what I mean? So uh, that's a speculation that we'll have to dive into later. Um, But yeah, I can see it. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean like,
0: yeah, if it made its way into these tales, I think the patriarchy was already alive and well at during Greek and Roman times. Um, and and in ancient cultures, it's like goddesses were celebrated, and there were more uh, matriarchal societies. I think, like, but we have I'm to go very past interested. Greek and Roman.
1: I'm very, very interested to like dive into the Greek side of things, which I think we're gonna do at some point um, for sure. Oh, so absolutely! I'll really be interested to explore all of. I feel like we'll be touching on a lot of these stories again, the ones that have these origins, and oh yeah, from because perspective.
0: Yeah, I think um, Sirens really became made famous, I guess, in Homer's Odyssey.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And that
0: you can't talk about Greek lore without talking about that epic tale. Yeah, like one of their
1: epic stories, right?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, And then, yeah, so a mermaid's story is typically about love, right? Uh, She feels inspired, or she inspires love at first sight and kind of falls in love at first sight and she gives herself instantly and totally and she's driven by this pure and shameless sexuality and expresses her emotions without feeling self-conscious so much um so she's just like this deeply instinctive being but like a light version because sirens are also deeply instinctive and i think that's where that animalistic side comes to I be and like why they just like lure their lure men as well but it's the deeply idea of like,
1: deeply instinctive light.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, and with the mermaid having men fall in love with her, the mermaid is like a sexual fantasy. I think it's safe to say that like mermaid can be seen as a sexual fantasy. And, you know, many of her symbols have like the shell and the comb in ancient Greek and Latin, the words carry a double connotation, Uh also relating to the pubic area. So like the mermaid is almost the symbol of unattainable sexuality.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Those
0: are the main differences, I guess, between mermaids and sirens. Yeah. So we use them to like talk about, you know, Ursula is depicted in that way. Like she's depicted as this siren-esque creature in a a sense. I was thinking that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. In a way.
0: In a way. So I feel like The Little Mermaid is so relatable because it's a woman in transition. Yeah. On one level, she symbolizes a coming of age for a young woman. So it's a story of a woman's metamorphosis or a girl's metamorphosis into an adult. And the hybrid of human and fish is like a very apt metaphor for the adolescent who is like half in childhood and half in adulthood. And Mm. she's eager to grow up. She's eager to become fully human and, you know, get those legs. And her dad wants her to stay a fish. He doesn't want his little girl to grow up too quickly. So it's this perfect parable of puberty because there is like a real physicality in that transition. Mm. And the change from fins to legs mirrors a young woman's changing sexuality. And, you know, her getting legs coincides with her falling in love. Mm. And meanwhile, losing her tail feels like a loss. And and you don't realize it as you're growing up. You're like, I want to be an adult. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you get to adulthood and there's a sense of loss that you feel for not having necessarily enjoyed or understood your childhood for what it was while it was there so there's this like sadness and like all of these changes are messy and painful and little mermaid characters are a little bit boy crazy so like they echo this adolescent excitement over first crushes and um it captures a teen's enthusiasm for what's to come right Mm -hmm. like so as a character she's really compelling because of her positive curiosity and courage. And like, she's got this sense of adventure at the same time. Yeah. It's so relatable at the same time. She reflects this constant, like conflict and struggle of the adolescence period. And Mm -hmm. she, you know, she wants to do those things. She doesn't want to leave her family behind. And like, what does it all mean? Um, So, she's very much a mixture of child and woman and despite her charms she's got this childlike sense of wonder and openness and a youthful way of looking at things that rejuvenates everyone that she comes across who may have been too worldly and like adult about it all i was
1: gonna say and as adults we can almost look at that and feel like that's a dangerous combination Oh yeah. <laughs> Be like, almost like in the body of a woman with the mind of a younger person. And I think yes. like, I don't know, I personally experienced that in my life growing up. I Same. didn't know I was naive until afterward, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Very much. Yeah. And then how you relate that to people and who you have relationships with. Yeah. Yes. That's so absolutely. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, in a broader term and this is like much more recent this mermaid being a symbol of flux is it has been relatable to people who are going through transitions of any kind so um her story can be seen as an illustration of gender dysphoria for people who are going in transition or Mm -hmm. like dealing with that transition in any way others just relate to her as a story of being this outsider kind of between two worlds. So people that are immigrating and like trying to assimilate, but not quite able to enter that world. And like a lot of things like you probably understand that
1: more than most. (laughs) Yeah, except I, like, yeah, except I had resistance to it and wasn't dying to be a part of this world necessarily. Right. But I do understand, I, yeah, I absolutely understand that. And it's funny because, like, the whole time you've been talking about this stuff, I keep thinking about the part of your world song from, like, the Disney movie. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's, I think... I'll be honest, Little Mermaid wasn't my favorite. I don't know why. It feels like it has all of the makings for me to just love it. <laughs> but for some reason, I, I wasn't into it. And, um, you know, and still that song kind of sticks out mm-hmm. because I feel like there's also, like, at least in the Disney version, there's this, like, message of, like, wanting to feel safe, wanting to feel like you belong and I think that's another yes. thing like adolescents really struggle with and go through uh, that and really have to deal with when they're growing up. When we're growing up, it's like, right at you know, we have to go through the or we had to. I don't know if people still do. But like when I was growing up, there was definitely like that mean girl phase where people were like, Mm-hmm. Being kind of mean and catty to each other, um, it was hard to feel like your friends were really your friends and that you felt safe. Mm-hmm. And there's that sense of like just wanting to get it over with already, and wanting to belong, and wanting to belong with your friends, belong with your with a person, a guy, like a partner or whoever. Yeah. So yeah, I can definitely see that like transitional. It's like all Mm -hmm. wrapped up in this kind of story. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I guess, so over time, the mermaid starts out as this mythical creature, right? With Adargetus. And then over time, she turns into one that people really believed that they existed. So by the time that Pliny the Elder was writing in the first century of the common era, um, people reported sightings of mermaids all over the place and this really increased with maritime travel, like especially during the age of discovery between the 15th to 17th centuries. There mm. were people always saying that they spotted mermaids. Um, so yeah, it transitioned from this mythical creature into like a being that really was believed to exist. Mm. And we've touched upon the light and dark versions. Obviously the little mermaid Ariel is the light version, but and like I've already seen, kind of said this, like Ursula plays into this evil enchantress. She pairs her beauty, like she um, takes her voice, but also then has the ability to go on land as this beautiful siren esque creature. Like she's not this creature with tentacles anymore. She changes and, you know, steals her voice. And so she pairs this beauty with this false illusion of human beings. And this dual form is really what. Ursula uses to bewitch Eric. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. Yeah. So mermaids as like these femme fatales then represent a pure sexual energy. And you could say that there is like this contrast of the light version representing sexual love and the dark version representing sex without love. And to make sense of her growing Mm -hmm. popularity, Christianity framed the mermaid siren as and then like say that in quotation marks siren as a symbol of vice and temptation to men's
1: souls right. so that's kind of the context we know the word siren to be like in this yeah.
0: day yeah and it's like remember shit like
1: that sticks
0: <laughs> and at that time like when all of this stuff was happening and christianity really took the forefront unbridled sex is seen as a threat to civilized christian society Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's building block, which is marriage. Hmm. Well, right. That's the point. Undines or underwater spirits are seen. So mermaids basically are seen mentally as being just like people, but lacking a soul. However, it was thought that a select few mermaids wanted to be saved and a folklore developed that they could achieve an immortal soul by
1: marrying a man. Well that sounds like something that sounds like a conversion story now. <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So and this is where it gets interesting. And so like uh in the Disney's interpretation, Disney's version's interpretation was written by Hans Christian Andersen in mm-hmm. eighteen thirty seven. So that was kind of like the or inspiration, not interpretation. That was the inspiration for the Disney version. And he's Um, He is Danish. He's from Copenhagen. And so in Copenhagen, there's actually a statue of a mermaid that they've...
1: Oh, duh. Yeah, I knew that. I know that. I was waiting for that. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. In um, this version that was written in 1837, the mermaid longs for a soul as much as she wants her beloved prince, which is, I think, interesting. In this version, the mermaid is unnamed. And she's the youngest of six children, much more interested in the world above the sea than her other sisters. And when she finally turns 15, she's been waiting for this day for a long time because she's seen her sisters go up and then tell stories of what they see when they're able to actually poke their head up and out of water. So when she finally turns 15, she's allowed to visit the surface and see what humans see every day and she goes up and she sees this birthday party celebration thing happening on a ship and she sees this beautiful prince that she kind of like zeroes in on instantly mm-hmm. and when the n- night comes a storm comes along and destroys the ship so the little mermaid is initially really excited when she sees the sink or the prince sinking beneath the water because he can join her and she's like yay I have my prince here. And she quickly realizes that, you know, humans can't breathe underwater. Yeah. Um, so she rescues him and then takes him to the shore of a temple. Um, but there are some novice girls that are like coming from the temple. And so she abandons ship and leaves it for the girls to actually restore the prince to consciousness. And the mermaid just goes back underwater. And the prince is completely unaware of her existence or that she has saved his life. Um, mm-hmm. what I also really like in this version is that she, like with Disney's version, she has this relationship with her father, um, but she doesn't really talk to anyone apart from flounder of her, the treasures and trinkets that she's been collecting. She talks to her grandmother about humans in Hans Christian Andersen's version. Oh, um, interesting. and so this, this generational knowledge is being passed down. Uh, through an older woman, which is actually a lovely thing to see. And I think was very commonplace at the time as well. But she asked her grandmother about humans and learns that humans don't live as long as Mermen, who can live up to 300 years. Um, but that they do have immortal souls, which float up to heaven when they die, unlike Mermen, who don't have souls. Interesting. And their body just turns to sea foam, and that's it. Uh, so the little mermaid said that she would trade 300 years of life as a mermaid for one day as a human if it meant that she would have a soul and live forever. So the grandmother is just like, don't think about that sort of stuff. Because the only way that a mermaid could gain a soul is if the human loved her enough that his soul would merge with hers. And oh, boy. She would gain one.
1: Merman, okay. dad. Mermaid. Merman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I watched Z-Lander not too long ago. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh no! Is this where soulmates come from, or is this like I don't know that whole idea around like um, the souls, the, like souls completing each other or fitting each other? Ooh, sounds fantastic. Like. It's it it's very, it's very
0: Catholic. Yeah. It's, well, certainly like any kind of Christianity. That's like, yay soul. Huh. Anyways, the little mermaid realizes that she loves the handsome prince and she would give anything to be with him and to gain an immortal soul. So she decides to visit the one woman who could help her, the sea witch who later becomes known as Ursula. And she says that she will make the mermaid a potion Which she must take on to land with her to drink. And her tail will turn into two human legs. Um, She won't be able to transform back into a mermaid again. And it will hurt her when she walks. It'll be like pins and needles when she walks. So, like, this does not sound like a really good deal. Um, Yeah. And if the prince... Does not marry her. She doesn't gain an immortal soul. She dies. She becomes foam upon the water. As is the fate for soulless men. The day that the prince marries someone else. Oh, shame. Okay? So she's like really deciding to turn her back on her family and culture here. And go after the thing that she wants. But it also comes with a lot of pain. And it comes with no guarantee
1: that mm-hmm. it will work out
0: happily for her. So she is so ready to... To gain this immortal soul to marry the prince, that despite this gamble, she also agrees on the payment for this, which is her voice. So she's going up into this world with the inability to communicate in pain. She can't sing, she can't speak, and she, it hurts when she walks. Um, so she floats up, <laughs> drinks this potion, she falls unconscious, she wakes up, and the handsome prince is standing over her, asking her where she comes from. Um, but obviously, the sea witch ever. doesn't just takes her vo- take her voice apparently like she takes her tongue
1: oh double shade so she's like yeah, full on yeah so she mute. she just like she's full
0: on mute she cannot answer and he takes her to the palace gives her like the finest clothes to wear and even though she can't speak she has this beauty that was not taken away from her and it's very much appreciated and admired at court and she does grow closer to the prince and at night she can like look out into the ocean and see her sisters as they like come up to the surface. Cause they'll do, they will, they'll come up to the surface at night. And, um, they tell her how sad that they are, that she left them behind.
1: I'm um, so, sorry, but I just feel like I got to call a little bit of shade. This guy finds this girl on the beach. She's gorgeous and she can't fucking talk. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, perfect perfect exactly what I was looking for (laughs) like yeah
0: someone who doesn't talk back
1: yeah exactly (laughs) like yeah exactly it just feels like I smell some patriarchal sentiment. not to look at every single story we do from like a feminist standpoint but it feels weird anyway I mean a lot of them are written by men Yeah, that's so So, weird. Anyways, okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, so she learns that the prince is fond of her, but he has fallen in love with the pretty girl at the temple who brought him back to life instead. Ah. So, like, he's fond of her, but he doesn't love her. Okay, Um, maybe he doesn't know.
1: I kind of get that. No, (laughs) no,
0: I don't don't think so. He's fond of her, though, Um, but he doesn't love her. And um, she's he is completely unaware. Pardon?
1: She's friend zoned.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. He's completely under unaware that she's the one that actually dragged him up to shore, and thinks that this this other woman saved his life. So she can't tell him the truth, mm-hmm. and um, he's going to marry this girl, this like princess from another kingdom, to form an alliance and. She's really, really sad. And um, the her sisters kind of find out what is going on. She's heartbroken and the sisters go visit the sea witch. They cut off all of their hair in exchange for a dagger because she's going to die. Like if he marries this woman, she's going to die. The little mermaid right, will die. Yeah. She'll turn into sea foam and her soul is lost And she's just like heartbroken. She took this major gamble and it is not paying off. She did this all in vain. So yeah, her sisters are trying to help her out. They sacrifice their hair to the sea witch in exchange for this magical dagger and they hand it to her. And she has to plunge the dagger into the heart of the prince. And once his blood touches her feet, it will merge them together to reform her tail. And then she can go back as a mermaid.
1: Oh, shit. This just got serious. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So she sneaks in and sees the prince and his bride sleeping together in a tent on the ship. And she can't go through with it. So she just hurls the dagger into the ocean. And she turns into sea foam and goes overboard. And her spirit kind of floats up into the air.
1: No way. That's the ending.
0: Yeah, so her spirit floats up into the air, and she is informed by other mermaid spirits or daughters of the air that while they cannot gain a soul, they have a chance to do so if they provide a useful service to the world by bringing cooling breezes and hot winds in warmer parts of the globe. So like she embodies this stuff, and she has to do this for three centuries so those 300 years she has to be of service to the air for 300 years and then she can create an everlasting soul and that's how the story of the little mermaid ends so i find that version really really interesting on a lot of different fronts like disney went with this like very happy romantic and ending but like of course yeah Anderson's tale is a paradox. Like it is a tragic tale, but ultimately has a happy ending. And, you know, he avoids the expected end of like him, uh, of, of Eric and, well, he wasn't named Eric of the Prince (laughs) and the little mermaid living happily ever after with her gaining a soul and truly joining the world of humans. Like that doesn't happen. It's a bittersweet ending. It's a little bit more mature and a little more realistic where, Like the moral of that is we can't make people love us if they do not. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have to live with that fact. Like unrequited love is really difficult. The best we can do is just act well towards them in the world at large. And then you may still benefit from that. So like taking all of that into account, it's really hard to difficult or like really hard and difficult to analyze what The Little Mermaid actually means. Like, is it a story about love or immortality or selflessness or about religion? Mm -hmm. Is it like, do we look at the feminist interpretation of the tale, which sees the price that young women pay for marriage and motherhood of like the intense pain to her lower body that Mm -hmm. she undergoes. If she wants to be the prince being mute, physical pain, the loss of, of talent. So she loses her voice and a curtailing of her freedom that she leaves behind, her world and her family to marry into his. I feel like, like, So it's like a paradox and yeah. I, I love it for that.
1: I feel like I heard a story. I don't know if you've heard about this. You can correct me if I'm not, I'm, I'm probably not going to tell it very well, but I've heard this thing in on like through social media that he like that Hans Christian Anderson wrote this story because he was, gay and he was in a relationship but they could never really be together because of the way that society the way that society viewed like homosexual relationships at that time so the whole like the whole premise of Ariel and 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 that paradox is like a resemblance of like what those two were going through and he wrote the, the story to kind of explain the alienation that he was feeling mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the feelings of knowing like that they couldn't ultimately be together. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Actually. Yeah. I have to, I'm going to find that video and send it to you. Cause that's yeah. really, that's a really interesting like perspective it's to super know. super interesting. Like, yeah. Like, I, I might be seeing it wrong because like I said, I, I saw it on social media. in passing, but I thought it was like really, really interesting when I did see it. Um, so yeah, okay, I'll send that to you if I can find it,
0: yeah, please do, um, but I think that that's why the Little Mermaid is so fascinating like there there are so many interpretations and so many things that you can pull from it that make it so relatable, like mm-hmm. it's not just about
1: it is kind love. of like. <laughs> more bittersweet than our average story like it has mm-hmm. a certain and maybe that's something to be said about like i guess we're dealing with the like hans christian anderson version which is danish you said right mm-hmm. maybe there's something about the fact that it's like um a more modern like danish story like i say more modern because of course like the danes and scandinavia has all the connections to like viking lore and this and that this is yeah, a way more modern in a sense, like story. But maybe there's something about it, like I don't know. It just doesn't hit the same way. It hits like a a kind of a bittersweet story where it's it's quite sad, mm-hmm. and the ending isn't actually so bad. But it's not like a fantastically happy ending either. It's not. No. So bad
0: And then you have to ask, like, was she actually motivated by love? Did she really fall in love with him? Or was it, like, a means to an end? Did she really want this immortal soul and just saw this as a way to
1: get it and, like, wanted it so badly? I don't don't think it could be that because if it could be that, wouldn't she have just, if that's what she wanted so badly, why wouldn't she just, like, I don't know, try to kill the other girl or something? Like she ends up being really selfless, I mean, which I feel like is more yes. connected in these types of stories to like really loving someone. If you're gonna give up yourself for that, I mean, like,
0: happiness. but but even okay. So even if I was in her position, I don't know that I have the guts to actually kill someone. Yeah, that doesn't that's matter true. That's if really, I'm yeah. so envious. Like I, you know, yeah, I don't have the will to do that.
1: <laughs> I thought all people from like older times were just like down to kill people because they were so Oh, used to
0: sure. That. I'm just They're joking. So used to it.
1: Like I'm just joking. That's let's go kill Happy. Yeah. But I do it's think the it's, it's, I do think it's a really I, I do actually like that she gets an alternative in a way like an alternative ending that she can become part mm-hmm. of she can become part of the breeze. And I feel like it's just kind of convenient that that part got left out. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: So obviously, you know, Disney went with the version that we know where like she falls in love with the prince and everything's fine. But I think that um, even in the Disney version, it's appealing because it it hits a lot of the things that we talked about earlier of this being this person in transition, right? Like she's, she's a young person in transition who has an an innocent outlook I'm not even going to call it naive but like an innocent outlook on things Mm -hmm. and is excitable and everything like that but the Hans Christian Andersen version has a lot more depth there's a lot more paradox like just contrasts that are happening and I I really really like it yeah there's so many like different ways that you can take it
1: what else has has he written other stories as well or is this one like kind of his most famous
0: yeah that's his most famous he's written a lot of stuff The Nightingale, the Red Shoes, the Ugly Duckling, Snow Queen, Thumbelina, Little Match Girl.
1: Oh, oh, the Little Match Girl is so sad. I know. Um, yeah yeah so he's another famous him. famous um okay because i thought i've, I've seen writer. other other things of his
0: so that is the story of the little mermaid i love that there are like so many different paradoxes um, and i keep saying that word but i really don't know a better word to describe what it is there's just like contrasts and opposing views um and yeah. so many
1: things you can take from it it's really so interesting i i didn't realize that the hans christian anderson version ended that way um but like i said it's bizarrely sad and optimistic at the same time so i think that's a yeah nice, that's a nice way to end it um so that's where we're gonna wrap for today um join us next time where we'll be talking about something completely horrifying
0: <laughs> rumple <still's good. laughs> it's gonna be great
1: Yay. we'll see you next time We will see you <laughs>